Hey internet, I'm Simon Squibb, your host at the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help anybody out there that's thinking of starting a business do just that. Equally, if you've started a business and are struggling, maybe you need a little bit of inspiration and knowledge. And we hope by interviewing some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers that you'll get the knowledge you need to become the person you want and turn your business into that dream company. I personally have started 17 companies from scratch and have invested in over 65 startups. I left school at 15 with near zero education and was able to retire at 40. When I sat down and analyzed how I did it, I discovered a secret. It was all luck. So in each episode, I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, no matter what you're building, shipping or thinking, without luck, it ain't gonna work. Each week, I will discuss with my guests this theory and test it and see if luck is a skill as I feel it is and if it's possible to pass it on to the next generation of entrepreneurs. I hope you enjoy our episode this week. Welcome everybody to the Good Luck Club podcast. My guest today is entrepreneur Douglas Young. He's the co-founder of G.O.D., and he is going to share his life insights with us today. Douglas, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Simon. Welcome. Welcome to, to the podcast. Douglas, I wonder if you wouldn't mind starting off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Right. So um, my name is Douglas Young. Uh, I was born in Hong Kong, 1965, raised in Hong Kong until the age of 14, when my parents suddenly decided to send me to boarding school over the UK. And when I landed in the UK, it was my first time outside of Asia. So it was a huge culture shock. But cut a long story short, I finished my boarding school. I did my university, studied architecture at Sheffield University, that is. And then worked a bit in London, made a lot of friends in the UK and came back. So by the time I came back to Hong Kong, I was around 30. So at that moment, precisely half my life was spent in Hong Kong the other half in the UK. So a lot of my friends like to comment that I'm kind of like a hybrid sort of person. I'm sort of half Chinese, half British. Although looking at me, you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't hear this stuff. Wow, okay. That's, uh, that's, that's interesting. The, the, high, best of, the best of both worlds, basically, right? You're the, you're the best of both worlds. Yeah. Did, did you find that when you went back to England, you had the same exotic feeling? Did you, did you get that sensation both sides or it was only when going from England back to Hong Kong that you had that feeling? So you mean that when I go back to England, do yeah. I get that feeling? Yeah. So England was exotic. Yeah, because when you went back to Asia, it sounds like when you went back to Hong Kong after being in England for, uh, yeah. for half your life. Because, yeah, that's the thing, you see. Um, when I went back to Hong Kong, because back then, the airfares were quite expensive, so I wasn't able to come back that often to Hong Kong. So when I was in England, Essentially, I spent most of my time in the UK, I would say. So UK was my home, and I didn't come get, back, get to come back to Hong Kong unless it was for an extra long, like a summer holiday kind of thing, you see. Um, so whereas I was never removed from the UK, so no, I did not get the sense that UK was exotic. If anything, probably UK felt more home to me, because that's where my friends were, and you know, I enjoyed the lifestyle when I was in the UK. But it never, when, when I was living in the UK, it was never 
conscious or, or rather I was never conscious of the fact that Hong Kong was special or, or that I, I, I'm Chinese or you know, my future belongs to Chinese heritage, that sort of thing. It sort of never occurred to me that it was that, if that made sense. Yeah, it does make sense, yeah. So when I was in the UK, I just felt like a regular kind of UK person as much as I can, but, you know, that's how I felt. But it's only when I came back to Hong Kong that I suddenly felt this hybrid quality, which is like half Chinese and half foreigner. Yeah, so it's only in Hong Kong that I feel this kind of duality. And I enjoy this, actually. It's a, there's a sort of tension. There's always this kind of tension between the two, which gives me a kind of buzz. It makes me, it, it gives me, it, it, it's hugely inspirational to me as a designer. This is why when I came back, I, I, I just wanted to stay. I just wanted to stay, yeah. Because nowhere else gives me this kind of buzz and energy. I know what you mean. I, I have it on the other spectrum. As as a foreigner, I always wanted to be a Hong Kong person, you know. So I married a Hong Kong person. I, I, mar- <laughs> I married a Hong Kong person, but I, I'm still I'm still that's an outsider. Although I've tried many times to be an insider, it's the. But, no, but it's, that's the thing. I think that's the thing. Hong Kong is so cosmopolitan. It's not true. about skin color. It's not about age. It's not about gender. Whatever. You know, anybody's a Hong Konger as long as their heart is here. And I think you're a Hong Konger. Yeah, Definitely. I, I, I certainly, um, you know, what now when I, I, a bit like you, I spent 20 years in England, then I spent 20 years in Hong Kong. Uh, so I spent the first 20 years of my life in England. And so I, you know, I consider myself English and then I went to Hong Kong and spent 20 years there. And now in some respects, I fit in both places, but I also don't fit in both places. So I can completely relate to your, to your insight and your story. I think what's just <laughs> taking a step back for a second, how did uh, G.O.D. come about? What was the process exactly? So um, G.O.D. came about when, uh, because it was a means for me to express my feeling towards Hong Kong culture, Hong Kong heritage, and, and Hong Kong design. You know? um, uh, I felt that there was just this brand that was lacking which expressed Hong Kongness, Hong Kong culture. And when I explained to people why we don't have this kind of brand, people used to say to me, oh, of course not, because Chinese people, Hong Kong people, they love foreign brands. They love Louis Vuitton. They love Burberry. They love Adidas. They don't like Hong Kong brands. So everybody, everybody, everybody was telling me, no, it's not going to work. And I just got really frustrated. So I thought the only thing to prove these people wrong was to just do it myself. And luckily, I met Benjamin, my partner, who started the business, and we both have a kind of similar concept. So we got together and started this thing. And when we first started, it was really quite small um, in a very remote, rent, low rent area. Um, and it just really took off. So we, I mean, yeah, that was before 97 actually. And, and it was huge encouragement for us to just carry on. And in fact, it was in the early days, it was quite popular in, to the extent that we actually were able to give out give up our regular jobs and just concentrate on doing this. And I never thought that I'd be running a shop because I was trained as an architect and architects are terrible business people. <laughs> we don't know numbers. And I never thought that I'd be you know, doing what I'm doing today. So life has been a really, has treated me well. And, um, and yeah, it's, 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 very, it's been very unpredictable, but a hell of a ride. 
What, what a wonderful uh, journey, though, as you say, to, to kind of be yeah. doing something you weren't expecting. Because most of people's lives are planned out, right? So it's nice to have that randomness to it in a way. But I talk, I talk I a lot. Pers- very lucky. Well, lucky interest. We'll come to that in a minute. I'd like to discuss um, luck. Yeah, I'm trying bit. to. I'm trying to <laughs> bring you into that topic. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know it's a subject you, you you have a lot to say on. But just before we jump jump to that, um, well, the co-founder piece I think is important. I, a lot of people that listen to my show talk about when they want to start a business, should they have a co-founder or not? Could you talk a little bit about that dynamic? How did you strike up that deal, and and has it always been perfect? Right. Um, I guess this is a little to do with what I was talking about earlier about this tension. Um, you know, Chinese people believe in yin yang, right? Like opposing forces and creating tension. You can't just have yin without the yang. And for me, the reason why I find Hong Kong interesting is because there is this tension, this duality between East West. And similarly, my relationship with my pilot is that. I'm not, I'm not saying that we have tension in that we argue. In the sense that he's quite different. We like to do different things. So I'm the creative side of the business and he's the business side of the business. He's a very personal kind of person, like into personal relationships, into uh, um, that kind of thing. But whereas me as a designer, I like to lock myself in my own studio and just work on my own project without being disturbed. Benjamin always likes to be with you you know, in the shop and talking to the customers, that sort of thing. Um, so uh, even though we both have this idea of a modern Hong Kong brand, our kind of approach has been very different. And I think that is why we can work well together. Because I don't try and do what he can do well, and he doesn't try to, 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 to do my part as well. So... I think we complement each other very well. And of course, there is trust. I think there is, I cannot stress the importance of, of trust. You know, I, I believe what he's doing is really good for the company and he's taking risks, which I completely back. And likewise, he's always very supportive of the crazy risks that I take and many of which fail as well. So we, we try not, we, when I, well, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we don't blame each other for mistakes or for failures, and we have trust for each other, not only in terms of the money that is in the till, but just doing things, you know, doing taking risks and, and taking the business where it could go. So I think, again, very lucky, very lucky that we found each other. I think the trust piece is, is really hard for people to identify. I mean, I could even talk about myself in my history. You know, I, I, I got lucky as well with my business partner, who's a creative. And, and I was the business, the business side, Helen. I, I started a business called Fluid, as you know, with Helen. She was the creative yeah. side, Hong Kong born. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and similar, by the way, similar process around brand. People didn't think that they'd want a Hong Kong branded agency. They wanted the Ogilvy's or the Leo Burnett, the American brands or the English brands to help them with design yeah. and creative. So we come from a similar place, actually. But, but I, I find it interesting to trust each other piece. I mean, did you have that from day one or was it something that built over time? How, how, did, you, how did you know you could trust each other? Well, um, well, of course, you know, from day one, you don't know each other very well. Um, but I guess you have just got, well, I, I don't think this is necessarily good advice for your listeners, okay? But 
for me, I just believe in just throwing everything at it. You know, you just, you just got to trust. You just got to take your luck. And I did, and I was lucky. I think you can't kind of doubt because that doubt is going to come back your way. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it reflects. It reflects, you're saying. So if you, if you yeah. have doubt, then you don't trust. It's a bit like prenups. You only you know? get one. Most people that uh, do prenups end up having a divorce because they've prepared for the day yeah, they're going to get a divorce. That kind of idea. Sometimes you just got to throw, throw things uh, at life. And you, you can't hold back. Because I think what you get out of it is what you put in. If you don't put, it, if you don't put something in, you're not going to get much back. So I'm, I'm a believer in instinct. And when I first met Benjamin, I thought, this is the person I can work with, I can live with. And there's just something about Benjamin that made me trust him. And you're going to have to interview him <laughs> with mm. regards to what he thought about me. Yeah, but, probably. Couldn't uh, trust him as far as I could throw him, but he's a great creative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, I guess, which is not often mentioned, is humor. We have exactly the same wavelength when it comes to humor. And maybe that helps to build trust. That helps to build, at least that helps to build a sense of um, convergence or at least through humor, we know that we're at the same wavelength, we're the same sort of people, we have similar values. And all that comes out as humor. I actually mm. agree. Humor is a completely yeah. underrated asset in the makeup of business it's a big stress reliever if you can laugh about the mistakes and and laugh at each yeah, other yeah you know? I, I, I do believe that actually yeah it's a really good insight I, mean, I use i think humor is a really powerful tool not in when you are trying to deliver a message if you sprinkle it with humor it's often a lot more convincing but even say when I'm interviewing somebody and if I find that that person has the same kind of humor as me and laugh about the same things, I'm able to work with this person so much more. And everything else seems to fall in line, even in terms of visual style. I think that people with the same wavelength of humor have similar values, have similar styles, similar tastes, and maybe, maybe I'm overplaying it, but increasingly i believe that is the case and it's what basically it's what me no i i i can see it and i i find that you know if i if i if, not going to get political because i know it's a sensitive area these days but you know if I, <laughs> I if i can have a laugh about trump you know if someone even if someone supports trump which i don't support trump if we can have a laugh about what trump might have said there's some common ground humor is kind of quite a common human trait not everyone has humor and of course humor can be different for different people but but i don't know something for me like comedians i always see comedians as geniuses you know they're just the ability to make someone laugh to me they're totally underrated yeah. Well, this is something I've learned from Britain. I think it's probably my most uh, important lesson. Because, I, I mean, growing up in the 80s oh, uh, yeah. in, in, in the UK, so you have these great British comedies such as Blackadder, yeah, totally. Not Nine O'Clock News, uh, uh, Yes, Prime Minister, and lately Little Britain. You know, all these are fantastic shows. And it's just taught me so much about what is what's special about being British and your ability to laugh at yourself and 
how sometimes people can have very delicate egos and these are the people I don't want to work with. You know, I, I like people who are able to laugh at themselves. And I think essentially that is a sort of humor that that we kind of use even in the office, in the, in the company, in, in terms of the products that we do. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I think that's a, that's a very unique point about humor. I've not really discussed with anybody else before. I mean, I, I, I almost didn't... Uh, end up in my relationship I mean today and I'm very happy in my relationship today I've been, been with my partner 20 years but when I when I showed her The Office which is a Ricky Gervais comedy she didn't laugh and to me it was just so funny you know but I was worried because I thought how can you not laugh at this and now we live next door to Ricky Gervais so we, we have to we have to find him funny but but you know that that, that humour link is, 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 is so so funny it's so true look I, do, I just want to jump to I mean I, I always ask guests this question and I'm really interested in this this answer from you but what does success mean to you Douglas? What does success? Uh, success is best left unachieved uh, because once you once you think you're successful, then you may as well retire, you may as well give up, you may as well do something else. So I am glad that success has eluded me so far. <laughs> um, and uh, there are still so many things I want to do. So, um, I mean, there are successful stages that I've achieved. Say, for example, you know, if, if we are, we're able to, win an award of some sort, then it is a kind of a intermediate success. But in terms of ultimate success, in terms of having done what I've set out to achieve, that sort of thing, no, definitely not. And I don't ever want to do that. So I'm always shifting my goals. I'm always wanting to do something new. There'll always be something new. So yeah, success has always eluded me. I find that fascinating. Um, success is best left not achieved. And I, it's interesting because I actually am a big fan of yours. And I think you have, for example, achieved building a Hong Kong brand against all the odds that people respect and want to engage with, not only locally in Hong Kong, which a lot of people love your brand, but also internationally. I think that is a shift. Like you said earlier in this interview, when you first started out, a lot of people, and it's true for any of the listeners, that don't understand the Hong Kong market, you know, a lot, you know, certainly 10, 15 years ago, if, if you were Louis Vuitton, you know, that, that was the brand to be and everyone wanted to, ho- you know, be w- holding a Louis Vuitton bag. And, and, and to shift that to today's world where I do think GOD's broken that mold and, and I think you have achieved something. But I like the idea that you've still got lots to achieve um, and you've, you've not completed that success yeah. route. There's an interesting way of putting it. Out of interest, do you... Oh, thank th- you. I mean, I was going to say, I, I might have to disagree with you there, Simon, because a lot of people will say that my brand has not been very successful. Because after all, after so many years, 20-something years, what, we've only just got the eight stores. I don't know when Super Drive first started, probably after us, but look at them. You know, they're all over the world. So there are different ways to measure success. So I'm sorry to disappoint your viewers. I only no, got no, eight I, stores I, and they're all in Only Hong eight Kong. stores, that's... You know, but, our turnover is probably a fraction, small fraction of that of all these other brands. So, how do you call success? Okay, but I'll I'll be immodest and I'll tell you that I have set I've set a kind of style in Hong Kong because this kind of Hong Kong style that is modern is being very copied. This 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 trend that I've set is being very copied. So yes, I have I have been in Hong Kong a trendsetter. Does that sound immodest? I'm sorry. But yeah, I've been that. 
But in terms of a commercial success, no, I'm, not, I'm a commercial failure. I mean, if you were a shareholder in my company, you would probably want to die to sell out. No, I, first of all, I know that not to be true, but um, but I, I, I get what you mean. It's interesting, isn't it? Because people's perception, you know, does size matter anyway? You know that um, that that concept. Eight stores. I mean, I, I tell you, there'll be a, there'll be a lot of my listeners out there that would would love to uh, be able to say that they've opened up a retail business that has eight eight outlets. And to be, to be honest, surviving, you know, for, since you've been at this since 1996, just, just being in bez- business 24 years and, and still being around, that is an achievement. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, but I, I, but I hear you. I, I know what you mean. I mean, it depends on how you, how you um, base it, you know, what, what your base point yeah, how of do success you define is. That success? Yeah. yeah. How do you define success? Totally, yeah, and and that's why I say without you know I, I don't, I, without going on again about how how amazing I think you are I I think you know I I always enjoy going to see Michelangelo's David in, in in Italy in Florence and you know you look at his story I mean here here you have a statue that people queue up all day long to go and see including me and then when you see it your mind is blown just by the the amazingness of of the creation but you know he was broke <laughs> you know when when he designed that and built that you know it was all a risk really? and um and and so you know he's he's left a legacy and, and and that's what i see you as to be honest and like you're saying for a moment because you, you are a very humble person i know that but when, when for a moment you're you know you accept that actually culturally you you have created a brand for people in hong kong i mean i, I can't tell you how many houses I, or homes i went to in hong kong where on the on on, on the fridge is is the letterbox uh, uh, stuff that you've created you know like the, you know, the letter the hong kong letterbox was just a kind of weird thing for most foreign people you know like to, to see yeah. why don't you just have a hole in the door where you just put the stuff inside you know like so but you created it you made it an iconic thing right and so, and so right. You, i'm going to give you credit for that but do you think an entrepreneur is, is born or bred out of interest it's born or bred um both actually i think you need to be born with certain principles and ways of looking at things but you've also got to train yourself hard um, um, to perfect your skills so I'm sorry for copying out on that question but I'd say both you need to be born with the eye of the taste and the attitude the optimistic attitude but at the same time you need to read yourself you need to train yourself hard those skills hmm. because, it because it's very be... frustrating and it's very easy to give up oh yeah well uh yeah. That, it's interesting though because i guess if, you know for the first 30 years of your life if, it feels like you were on a you know a well-paid job path and then this change where you moved back to hong kong um and so is is it probably true to say that there, there are just you know there's destiny at play Probably. I found my calling, put it this way. When I found, when I returned to Hong Kong, I felt this sense of destiny, the force of destiny. Uh, the, I felt, I suddenly found my calling. I suddenly realized this is my life's work. When I was in the UK, I enjoyed my work as an architect, but there was never that sense of, that, that sense of destiny, that sense of, I, I need to do this. It was just a job, and I was looking forward to weekends when I would be going out to the countryside or something. There was never that sense of the passion, I guess, when I was in the UK. And I enjoyed my work, and I enjoyed my lifestyle, but there was no sense of passion. 
when I was in Hong Kong, there was passion, there was energy. I don't know if it's me because of my upbringing and the place, or is it just the place? A lot of people say that Hong Kong is a very energetic place, and it's a place that gives people that sense of energy. I don't know. I, I, I like, I, actually, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Well, I, I mean, I think you between us, we could end up making this podcast the tourism board advert for you should go to Hong Kong, because I completely agree. I, I actually think that my whole career, all of my success, everything I've achieved is because of the energy of Hong Kong. I, I, I thought I'd achieved stuff before I left England. I thought I'd done okay. I'd started a few businesses, but nothing, nothing. When I got to Hong Kong, the energy level, the people, like you say, the international nature of it, it's just a very special place. And I, and I think despite all the negativeness that's surrounding the Hong Kong media um, at the moment, I still think it has that energy. You've just got to be willing to yeah, accept it. Okay. Right? So it's not me then, it's, it's the place. Let's well, I mean, there's there. a lot of people that think it's got negative <laughs> energy because there is there is a piece of it, you know, as, as we're de- debating it for a second, there is a piece of it that is also quite draining. The, it, you know, the high octane lifestyle piece is, right. is quite is quite addictive and so i think there's that balancing yeah. act you you do it very well because I, I i follow you on social media so you know i, I think you uh, do a, you do a good job of of you know being very focused doing great amazing things but still having a life but i think hong right. kong if you're not careful can also swallow you up i see okay you, right. you, you must have seen it you must see people that, you know, I see I, in finance sector, I see this in particular, people just get completely sucked uh, up into the system. And then, you know, 20 years later, they look yeah. up, they're rich, but they're not happy. Right. But that's not just Hong Kong. I mean, that would be the UK as well. That's actually got, fair. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think any, any city these days, oh, yeah. I mean, London has I, a certain I, I, energy I too, right? I mean, London definitely has a certain energy too. And so does New York for that matter. Yeah. I think it's just making sure that you tap into the right energy. I think that, and Hong Kong yeah. has that energy. I mean, ways. I, yeah, London, the London energy is about going to the, it's about going to the shows, the exhibitions, the galleries, the countryside, the things that you could see in the UK are mind boggling. But that kind of doesn't translate into my personal output. I, am a, I when I'm in the UK, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an observer to all these amazing things. And I enjoy them, but somehow it wasn't for me to take part. That's an interesting one. Whereas the things that are in Hong Kong, I can be part of. Hmm. Hmm. Well, what's your take on failure? I mean, you, 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 like you mentioned earlier, you, you've you know you've opened up stores, you've closed stores, you've had to you know you've had to survive at points. How, how do you view failure? Um. I think that, I mean, unless I die and cannot continue, I wouldn't consider anything as a failure. You know, I'm still alive, so I don't think I've failed. I made the wrong choices. So, I mean, it's like, it's kind of like a design process. You know, when you're designing something, when you're creating something, you're constantly making adjustments. Left, right, up, down, brighter, darker. I mean, all these are adjustments. And... It's kind of like a steering wheel. So if you have to correct yourself, then before you just before you correct it, you could call that a failure, I suppose. But I would just call it 
astray or a bad choice that you just have to correct. And life is full of these little adjustments. So I think I would only call things a failure if it is if it's really terminal. Um, so, yeah, I think, of course, there are big bad mistakes and big adjustments, but then those are just big adjustments. Um, so I, I think it's just kind of natural. It's a natural order of things. It's not something that anybody can avoid because failure is experienced at every level. Very small failures to big failures. Let's talk about the uh, big white number eight in the room, luck. Uh-huh. What, what, luck uh, for, this yeah. is, for the listeners, eight in, uh, in, in Chinese is lucky. Uh, but <laughs> but, but, but what, what, do you, what, what is your view on luck and how does it play a role in business and life? Um, actually, the big uh, eight in Chinese is not luck. It's, it's prosperity. So the Chinese equate eight or being prosperous as a good thing. So that, that's a luck. The, 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 the Chinese word for luck is actually very dangerous. It's uh, begins with a, it's a four letter word because of F and ends with a K. <laughs> fork. Fork, right. <laughs> yeah, I think you've done so t-shirts fork. around this. Chinese you? people like fork. <laughs> yeah. What the fork, okay. Yeah. What the fork, yeah. So, um, yeah, fork is what we like. Um, luck, yes. Um, I think I... I think some people are just really born unlucky, and that's just unlucky. I mean, I have a friend that whenever she travels, she falls ill. It's just, I don't know why. I mean, wherever she goes, she just gets ill. Maybe it's something that she eats off, but it's not just to one country, to any country. It's, it's just really bad luck. Or sometimes it's the weather. When my mother travels, she always hits the rain. Wherever she goes, it's raining. So... And when that happens, it's just not, there's not much you can do, right? Um, but then I also believe that what is more important is the right attitude to things. Because, I mean, that, that, I mean, it's cliche to mention the half, the, the, the glass half full, that sort of thing. You know, your own perception to a given situation, right? It's how you make the best out of a given situation. As a designer, actually, I sometimes revel in being unlucky because being unlucky and having restrictions or having things that I cannot do or having a limited budget actually makes me more creative. Um, so it's a case of, you know, like, if you, you, you are into my social media, right? And you see how I make my videos. It's really done with a phone and very basic lighting and basic editing. And um, professionals always comment, oh, why don't you improve your, your, on your sound quality or your lighting needs help or your I don't, makeup or whatever. But I like the rough edges. I, I, in fact, I, I think people would appreciate something that's done by the underdog something that is lacking, something that's limited in budget, all these disadvantages, which might be unlucky to some, to me is a positive. So I'm being very elaborate about this 
cliche, the half, the, the glass half full, you know, thing. I really do believe in it. It's, it's a matter of attitude. It's very difficult to find. Unlucky. I mean, there are those who are, of course, very unhealthy or fucking bad or missing certain vital parts of organ. Of course, that is very difficult to overcome. But in general, I think for the majority of us, it's more a case of possessing the right attitude to life. I think there's a good lesson for our listeners there. And I, I completely agree. I often say to people who are asking for money for their business, the first question you ask yourself is, well, you know, is it really needed? Because often you can overcome these barriers and, and money is an excuse to stop and wait. And so, you know, that, that creative, and I have seen your social media where you're, you know, you're racing your, a car and you've, you've sellotaped the camera to the, to the dashboard or something. And, uh, you know, I, I like that. I think that's part of the process. I know exactly what you mean and, and completely uh, agree. I, I hope the listeners pick up on it because so many people do say, oh, I can't start a business because I don't have money. But actually, I, I've started 17 companies, 13 of them with no money. The most successful ones have been with no money because there's the mother of invention, isn't it? It's that kind of that, that, yeah. that, that necessity to, to improvise and, and do it. And that's actually what makes it unique because if you had a special camera on there, you'd be top gear. You know, you, you'd, you'd be like everybody <laughs> else. But instead, you're, you're Douglas Young and you're doing something interesting and gritty and fun yeah. and real. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I guess I'm lucky in the sense that I do have something. I mean, there is a limit, of course. If you have absolutely nothing, and if you just sometimes just simply unlucky, then maybe not. But I think for the majority of us, we should be reasonably endowed to perform tasks of creativity. I really do believe that. It's always an interesting. In the dictionary, there is only one definition of luck, which is it's a random occurrence. Do you think there should be a second one, or you think that's that's fair enough? Random occurrence. Luck is random occurrence. Hmm. Yeah, I guess. Right. Yeah. Random occurrence. But then again, the thing about this word, the the thing that, um, what I have a problem with when you say it's random occurrence is the maybe possibly the religious aspect of it because I think that nothing is actually that random. I think there is always a scientific reasoning behind why the cookie crumbles the way it does. So I don't think it's completely random. To say that it's completely random means that you cannot even control or you cannot understand the situation, or you might revert to religion or, or, or something, what I would consider irrational choices. So um, I don't think anything is random. Like, for example, my friend that falls sick whenever she travels, maybe it's something to do with, because she always flies, Maybe it's something to do with the air pressure when she flies that makes her sick. For example, I'm not saying that's necessarily the case. But I don't think there's such a thing as, you know, she needs to wear some sort of bracelet in order to ward off the evil spirit. Oh, and that sort of thing. So um, I think, it, again, it's the, it's the mental attitude. How, how do you actually approach this situation to kind of improve your life? 
one of my personal favorite projects that you've done and actually it's my most popular video by the way on youtube is um you did a collaboration with starbucks um being sat corner to be exact um for people listening that want to work with brands and i think a lot of people would like to do a partnership with starbucks and, and create something like that i mean how did that play out how did that happen and and are you are you proud of it I'm very proud of it. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. Um, it was a process that I really found fulfillment. Um, now, that's the thing about Hong Kong. So the reason why it happened in Hong Kong was because Hong Kong was perceived by Starbucks, which is a Seattle-based company, and they thought Hong Kong was a not quite first-rate city have this experiment. They don't want this to fail in the, in London or New York or in some high-profile, first-rate world city. They picked Hong Kong because Hong Kong is just maybe below world-class. Uh, but it's big enough and it's a sophisticated enough of things to be tested. It's a good laboratory. Up until that point, I think it was 2007, maybe something like that, um, all the Starbucks in the world were cookie cutters. They were exactly the same. Same chairs, same color schemes, same counters, same everything. And they were very proud of that their kind of uniform and language, design language. And um, then there was the time when they opened in the Forbidden City in Beijing. And again, it was that cookie cutter Starbucks look. And the mainlanders at the time thought that they were being disrespectful of Chinese heritage. So in order to demonstrate to Chinese people that they actually respect local culture, they decided to try something new for them, and which is to open a Starbucks that doesn't look like Starbucks. And because my work was known for Hong Kong style or humorous updates, twists on the Hong Kong style, they approached us uh, to do their world's first non-Starbucks-looking Starbucks. So my approach was, what if Starbucks did not begin began in Seattle? What if it started in Hong Kong? What, if it, what would it be? So I did a local take. And um, back in the 50s, uh, the, this was the look. This was the Hong Kong eatery look. This was the Hong Kong cafe look because ice drinks were a novelty in Hong Kong. Back then, I mean, it was expensive to get cold drinks and ice cream. All this was kind of exotic food for Hong Kong people. And so, you know, these kind of restaurants was, 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 was kind of a real treat to a lot of people. And even the style reflected this kind of hybrid of Western style, but with Chinese mosaic tiles so it's kind of like a mishmash you can call it a mishmash you can call it a hybrid you can you know you can do really derogatory about it but i i wanted to be positive and i saw this as the hong kong aesthetic the, this is the unique hong kong aesthetic which is kind of a mishmash of, of western I don't know, art deco and <laughs> chinese um, um antiques or whatever so um, 
again, it's, it's the way you look at it. I mean, a lot of Hong Kong people would be kind of ashamed of this kind of look because it's kind of not pure. It's, it's kind of it, it shows that we were once very primitive, that sort of thing. But I wanted to look at it from a positive point of view. So this is my proposal to Starbucks. And when they first saw it, they were actually quite shocked. The local um, design team, they were really kind of a little bit shocked. They say, oh, okay, I don't think we can get this past Seattle. <laughs> the head, head office is not going to like this. Well, I was told that uh, Mr. Schultz, who was the founder of uh, Starbucks at the time, somehow accidentally came across my design. Very lucky of me to have his eyes see my design. And he personally approved of it. And if it wasn't for that, they wouldn't have taken this risk. And anyway, it was... And then, of course, when this came out in the news, a lot of the Starbucks fans complained and wrote to them and said, you can't do this, you're, you're letting them destroy the brand, all this sort of thing. It was very controversial, but the controversy helped with the publicity. And, well, there was, it was, I mean, from a marketing point of view, from a publicity point of view, it was their success. It was just huge. And, and, and it was just, I mean, it was like globally reported. Uh, they were there was tourists coming into the place, and they wanted souvenirs, and people booked out the place for weddings and things. And it's just um, to me, it was a, an amazing experience. I mean, the building of the place was just three weeks, but it took me like almost a year to convince them to get it built. It was that crazy, but. It was a, one of these really unforgettable projects that I've taken place that, that I've taken part in, and I'm just so grateful to have to have had that experience. I I, I absolutely love it, which is why I, I've not only did I have all my meetings there. Because, uh, you know, as a, as a Western person trying to show the combination of the two worlds working together, yeah. it actually really worked well and it gave a bit of Hong Kong history and culture in there. And so but I, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I think you should be proud. I, I, I was proud to uh, to know you as the person that did it. So uh, so good for you. And to get a collaboration with any big brand at that scale and getting getting the founder of that company to, to, to back it is just, yeah. you know, a notch, a notch in your belt for your creativity. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm conscious of time. Um, I know our listeners generally only have an hour for these podcasts and, and I want to have you back because honestly I feel like I haven't asked half the questions I want to ask of you the insights you have and the way you think I, I just love it and so I, I just end I think by asking you this kind of final question which is if you went back to the younger Douglas Young maybe you know when you're 20 years old so you're five years in England you know what advice would you give to yourself um, don't underestimate other people because uh and, and just go for what you believe in. Because sometimes I have doubts with my own beliefs. Like, I, you know, I, I often see something that I like a lot, but I often wonder if others will like it. See, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm running a shop. So what I produce will have to be liked and purchased by other people. Otherwise, I'll be in trouble. Right? And very often I doubt whether or not I am too advanced in looking at things and I don't think my customers will understand it or this is just way too crazy even though I like it. Um, so um, looking back, the things that are safe, my safe choices have not turned out well. It's only the one, it's only my more crazy decisions that have worked for me on different levels. Maybe commercial level or marketing level or whatever. So I would advise myself to trust my instincts more and to actually further refine those instincts 
so that I'm more conscious of them, so that I can be more um, precise and more accurate. That's the advice I give. Wow. I've just loved all your insights. I'm going to quickly sum up some of the things I've, I've taken from this today. I mean, first of all, guys, um, as, as Douglas has said, I think you have to trust each other when it comes to co-founders and partnerships. You have, I, I agree as well that you only get out of what you put in when it comes to building a business or a brand. I feel like uh, the concept of don't perhaps look at things as, as achieved, always be leave things best left not achieved to keep you driving forward and pushing forward. Remember, it's Fook, not the other Fook, when talking about luck, if you ever go to China. And uh, failure will happen. Just adjust. So, Douglas, thank you so much for all your insights today. I would like to have you back on the show again in the future. We haven't even talked about things like 14K and those other controversies. We'll talk about them another time. <laughs> yeah, I'll, You're giving I'll, me nightmares. Yeah, now people are going to Google you uh, when I put this podcast out and they're going to see um, just what an amazing person and, and an interesting, colourful, uh, genuine person you are. So thank you so much for giving time to me and to the audience today. And I look forward to uh, seeing you again back on the show. Thank you for listening to the Good Luck Club podcast. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you've chosen us. We, of course, feel lucky. If you want to hear more, please go to thegoodluckpod.com or go to any of our social media pages and share with us your views, your insights and any way that we can improve what we're doing to make it a better experience for you. We wish you the best of luck.